You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Another cross-reference from the book of Philippians, in chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul tells us that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so we are that light. And so in the New Testament, that menorah represents the church. In today's message, Pastor Mike will be telling you about the lamp that was burning in the beginning of Revelation. It's much more than just a light source. It's a symbol of the church. Pastor Mike will share how we, as the body of Christ, are to shine light in dark places. We need to provide illumination as people walk the path God has placed them on. We are the vessels that God's love pours out to the world. And if we're staying connected to Him, our light will never be dimmed. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 1 as he begins his message, Son of Man. Verse 7, chapter 1. Behold, he, that is Jesus, is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. A reference to what we're going to be talking about as we move through this book and into chapter 19 of the book of Revelation that depicts the second coming of Jesus. Even they who pierced him. A reference to the world, particularly a reference to uh, the Jews and the Roman soldiers. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, Even so, amen. So Jesus is going to come back in pretty spectacular fashion. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So once again, this message, the title, Son of Man. Now, something that I've already reminded you about, but I think it's important to mention once again. Remember, this book is about Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is his unveiling. It is his revelation. And Jesus here in our text is revealed to us in three different ways. For example, the revelation of his person, the position that he occupies presently, that is, he's the Lord of the church, and also that work which he is yet to do as the judge of the earth. And as we move through this book of the Bible, we'll see that to be uh, true. Now, I mention all of this because 
These are keys to understanding the remainder of chapter 1. Now, before we go ahead to consider Jesus, let's consider John, John the Beloved, John who is the recorder of this book of the Bible. And notice I said recorder. He's really not the writer. And uh, one of our previous studies, we talked about the order of this revelation that was passed down. It went from the Father to the Son, who in turn gave it to an angel, and in turn then gave it unto John, and then John delivered it unto the church. So that was actually the order of this revelation being handed down, Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through uh, 1 and 2. But it would be wrong and inaccurate to suggest that John was the writer of this book. He's more the recorder of this book of the Bible. Well, anyway, that takes us to our first point. If you're taking notes, write this down. That is the Lord's beloved. The Lord's beloved. Okay, let's pick up now in verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion, in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to draw your attention to a couple of things as it relates to John. First of all, notice he names himself as a brother. He's not coming from some high, exalted place or position, right? Simply a brother, a partaker in tribulation. Listen, he's on the island called Patmos, as the verse indicates, and he didn't get there, he didn't arrive at that destination by taking some cruise ship or being on vacation. In fact, tradition actually tells us that Rome, after unsuccessfully attempting to boil John in oil to put him to death, placed him in exile on this island called Patmos for preaching the gospel, which is indicated by that phrase, the testimony of Jesus Christ. Notice that there in verse 9. And this island Patmos, just to give you a little bit of background, was 10 miles long, was 8 miles wide, is 150 miles east of Athens, out there in the Aegean Sea. And John at this time is an old man. It's been suggested that he's 80 years old. And this is the same disciple that when we were first introduced to him, was uh, we are told that Jesus loved him. And yet notice, he is a partaker in tribulation. Now what do we take away from this? What do we learn from John's experience? Well, this, simply, don't be surprised, because those who are called, those who are loved by God, as was John, loved by Jesus, sometimes suffer persecution. Hey, listen, one of my least favorite promises in all of the Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, where we are told there that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Uh, I don't think many of us want to stand on that promise, but nevertheless, it's true. Listen, godliness can draw the scorn and rebuke of the world. So, be prepared for that. Now, Notice there in verse 10, we are told in verse 10 that I, that is John, was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. 
Now, what does that mean? And what does that look like? Well, basically, this is a reference to when any of us make ourselves available to the Spirit. That is, we are engaged in spiritual activities. What would be some of those spiritual activities? Well, tuning into this broadcast, studying the Word, a time of prayer, uh, sharing your personal testimony with a loved one, someone at your place of employment, uh, a fellow student where you attend college. These are all spiritual activities that we can be engaged in that make up this idea of being in the Spirit. So, in all of these exercises, this is what we take away from that, we can expect a revelation of Jesus Christ. Expect the presence of Jesus. Listen, even in the dullness, consider John, the loneliness of an island exile or in a coronavirus self-quarantine. Remember, indwelt by God, we carry our spiritual atmosphere with us wherever we are. And nothing can remove that from us. No court, no government mandates. None of those things can take this away from us. Now also notice in verse 10, the latter part of verse 10, John, while worshiping, notice he's startled by this loud voice. What does it say? And I heard behind me a loud voice as if it was a trumpet. So likened unto a blaring trumpet. And immediately, if you will, it's sort of like John is catapulted into the future, sort of placed in a time machine. And there he's about to receive this revelation of Jesus Christ in all of his glory. And then comes the introduction, the instructions that were given to him by the Lord. Verse 11, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Notice the way that Jesus is depicting himself here. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. Notice again, write, record. He's only the recorder of this book of the Bible. And send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia. These were actual churches that existed during this time. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So, again, this introduction. Notice, Jesus refers to himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And this is in title that can only be ascribed to the eternal God himself. He goes on to declare, write down the things which shall be revealed to you, and then deliver them to the seven churches. Now, why these seven churches? These weren't really the most prominent of all of the churches that existed during this time where John had received this revelation. Well, these churches represent, it's been suggested, the complete church, or seven divisions of church history. And as we go through uh, chapters 2 and 3, we'll break those uh, divisions of church history down for you. We'll consider each church, each of the characteristics that mark the church, those things that mark the church that drew the rebuke of the Lord, but at the same time drew the, condom, the commendation of the Lord. 
And therein lies the benefit of actually studying those seven epistles. Why is that? Because we are particularly interested in the commendation that the Lord delivered to those churches because we want to be like those churches. And But even beside that, remember, we've already talked about this, there's great strength and encouragement also to be found within these pages. There's a special blessing that is only ascribed to this book of the Bible. Nowhere else in any of the other books of the Bible is there's this special promise and blessing that's promised for those who read it, uh, adhere to it, and keep the things which are written in the words of this prophecy, chapter 1 in verse 3. Now, let's go on. And this brings us then to our second point, and that is willing to see. Now, John turned in the direction of this loud voice to see. Notice there in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Now, I couldn't help but read this during the week and be reminded of Moses in the Old Testament at the burning bush, who turned aside to see, and then God called unto him. In fact, if you turn there quickly with me to Exodus chapter 3, this is so very, very important. When God calls out to us, we need to turn in that direction to receive his instruction, his counsel. Notice it says in Exodus chapter 3 in verse 4, So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, and again, this is very important, that we turn aside to look when God is trying to get our attention through a variety of different ways, a variety of different means, and if he sees that we respond the way that he wants us to respond, you can expect him to speak. And notice it goes on to declare there in verse 4, and God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Listen, God is ever placing burning bushes and blaring trumpets for the eyes and ears of his children. And as I mentioned, sometimes it comes through a variety of different means. Sometimes it comes in the form of a phone call or an email or whatever. You fill in the blank. But the question remains, are we willing to turn from our casual, comfortable, safe existence to the extraordinary in which God is waiting to further reveal himself? So are we willing to see? Now that brings us to our third point, and that is the, the vision that is actually recorded here for us. I want to break this down for you. It's pretty extensive as well as suggestive. Now notice the first thing under this heading, the vision. John sees here in verse 12, seven golden candlesticks, which is the Old Testament menorah. Now the Old Testament menorah was one of the articles of furniture that was located in the temple, uh, particularly there in the holy place. And this is what we know about it according to what is recorded for us in Leviticus chapter 24. The menorah was never allowed, that is the fire that was contained within the menorah, was never allowed to go out. And that menorah actually represented in the Old Testament, under the Old Testament disposition, 
Israel being a light unto the world. Now, in the New Testament, under the New Testament dispensation, the menorah represents the church. Let me back that up and validate that for you. For example, Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5 and verse 14, speaking about the church, he says, you are the light of the world. Another cross-reference from the book of Philippians in chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul tells us that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so we are that light. And so in the New Testament, that menorah represents the church. Now this is important. Now hold on to that truth. Something else that I want to mention that I think is significant, also important. You know, the menorah was only the bearer of the light, but was not the illuminator. And by the way, they had an entire number of priests, and that was their only responsibility to make sure that the bowls on top of the stems of the menorah were filled with oil so that the the light of the menorah would continue to burn perpetually, so that that light was never to go out. But I want you to think about the menorah. It's only the bearer and not the illuminator. And such is the case with the church. The church is just the bearer of the light, but Jesus is the illuminator. So I wanted to make that distinction for you. Now also notice there in verse 13, Jesus, the Son of Man, is dressed in the priestly garment. So let's go back to verse 13 for a moment. It says, And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. And so he is actually draped and dressed in the priestly garments, which speaks of his present relationship to the church as our great high priest. For example, in the book of Hebrews, particularly in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is depicted for us as our great high priest. And the high priest, his office, his responsibility more than anything else, was to be an intercessor between the people and God. Notice in Hebrews chapter 7, in verse 25, we are told there, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost, referring to Jesus, those who come to God the Father through him, through Jesus, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so Jesus, our great high priest, our uh, intercessor. But then also notice, Jesus is presented to us in his glory. Notice there in the first part of verse 14, we are told his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. Now, I can't help but think of uh, the same description that is recorded for us describing God in the book of Daniel in chapter 7 in verse 9, if you want to turn there. But in Daniel chapter 7 in verse 9, we read Daniel chapter 7 in verse 9, I watched, so Daniel here is actually receiving a revelation, if you would, a vision of God, and this is the vision. I watched till thrones were put in place, 
and the Ancient of Days were sealed. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, and its wheels a burning fire. So, again, Jesus here is depicted as the Ancient of Days. Daniel chapter 7 in verse 9. But then also notice, and I think that this is important, he is standing in the midst of the menorah, which again, under the New Testament dispensation, represents the church. So he's engaged in the church, in the activities of the church. And then also notice in verse 14, the latter part, we are told, his eyes were like as a flame of fire. So what does that suggest to us? Well, the idea here is that Jesus is scrutinizing all that goes on within the church. He's concerned about every detail, every last detail, everything that's going on within the church, the way that we react with one another, the things that we're teaching, that our doctrine is correct, and so on and so forth. That we're spending the appropriate time and we're encouraging the people that attend our church to spend an appropriate time in fellowship, in prayer, in Bible study, in giving of themselves, in all of these different occupations. So Jesus is standing in the midst of his church, and he's scrutinizing all that goes on within it. He's concerned about every last detail. But then also notice in verse 15, it then goes on to tell us that his feet were like fine brass. Now you need to know something about certain elements that are depicted for us in the scriptures. And brass happens to be one of those elements in the scripture that represents judgment. Metal, the brass metal, often represents judgment in the scriptures. For example, the brazen altar, where the various sacrifices were, were offered, the judgments uh, for the sins of the people uh, were offered there on the brazen altar altar. So think about this then. Jesus is standing in the midst of his church. He's scrutinizing everything that's going on. He's standing also in judgment, and he judges and purges his church. Not only is he concerned about judging and purging the church, but he will also come again to purge the world. But then also notice in verse 15, we are told, and his voice was as the sound of many waters. Now the same expression is used a couple of different times in the book of Ezekiel. And if you'd like to turn there with me, you can. For example, in Ezekiel chapter 43, in verse two, concerning God, it says, And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And so it speaks to us of the voice of God. In my father's house there's a place for me. In my father's house where I long to be. Oh my heart. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. We're so glad you joined Pastor Mike today to study the book of Revelation, the final book in the Bible. If you'd like to listen to more, just visit our website, harvestnyc.org. 
You can also subscribe to the In My Father's House with Mike Finizio podcast. Just search for it on your favorite podcast platform. We'd love for you to join us for worship this weekend at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet at 11 a.m., and you can reserve your seat online by clicking on Contact at HarvestNYC.org. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area or if you're just unable to attend in person right now, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time of studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch up with previous messages, check out our services through our Vimeo link, or you can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Links to all these are available at our website, harvestnyc.org. Before we end our time with you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us in this ministry. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting In My Father's House? Donations of any size can be made securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Thanks for praying about this, and thanks for joining us today on In My Father's House.